Well, Father, we, we hear of another shooting at Fort Hood. We don't know hardly any details, except it's we're getting the reports over the radio. Some guys have mentioned this. And uh, how, 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 how tragic. How tragic. We just shake our heads in sadness and grief and amazement. We... Uh, we love our country, but we are so sad that these types of things are becoming commonplace. Quite frankly, there are so many shootings at schools. We're not even hardly shocked anymore because it has become so common. And now, back at the same location at Fort Hood. We, we come to you. We have nowhere else to go. We are saddened because the scripture says how blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We know the history of this country. We know the favor that we have received, the blessings that we have received, the freedoms that have been ours, uh, the countless thousands who gave their lives so that we, can, we could have freedom. And now we're watching these freedoms being eroded and taken away, and the process that was set up by the founders is being ignored and we all know this to be true. We see it. Um, but we should not be surprised because this can all be traced and it can all be tracked. These things we are seeing are evidences of, of spiritual darkness. And when... We have a nation where children le learn to read from McGuffey's Reader, which was full of scriptural verses. That's how children were taught. And then it was common to pray to you and ask for your help and assistance during the day at school. Uh, we were all old enough, uh, not all of us, but many of us remember when those things were commonplace and then one by one they've been taken away. So we grieve for our country. We would also pray, Lord, that you would help us to be of good courage. You, you said that in the last days uh, things would not get better and better, but they would get worse and worse. And we're watching that. We take comfort that you have a plan for the ages. We take comfort that you are overseeing the whole world, good and bad, even evil. Uh, you were never the author of evil, but you use evil. You're never the author, but you use it for the glory of your name and the good of your people. Joseph said to his brothers, you intended it for evil. God intended it for good. We don't understand all of these things. They're, they're, we don't have the bandwidth to understand how all of this works. This is a great mystery to us. You are knowable, but you are incomprehensible.
But we know you are good and we trust you. And we thank you that all things will be made right when Jesus returns. All things will be made right. We thank you for forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ who came and died in our place. Uh, we are all great sinners, all of us. But as John Newton would say, Jesus is a great Savior. Thank you for bringing us the gospel, for opening our eyes to the truth, for forgiving us of our sins. Help us to live in a culture that is going deeper and deeper in the darkness. May our homes be uh, refuges of light and of the gospel and of truth because you have transformed our lives. Beacons of light you know, in a nation that's getting darker daily. Help us. Assist us. Don't let us lose heart. Don't let us become weary in doing good. Thank you that Jesus rules and reigns and that he is coming back. And in the interim, you will sustain us and provide for us. We pray for the families. We pray for the men, women who have been wounded tonight. May they call on your name. Even in their physical affliction, may you bring good and bring spiritual birth and spiritual growth in their lives as a result. That would be our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been working our way through this book, Point Man, I did 25 years ago. Uh, it's a book that I did for men on being a, a spiritual influencer in your family, a book on how to be a spiritual leader in your family. And that can be somewhat of an um, intimidating uh, subject. And what I tried to do in the book was break it down into bite-sized chunks. Uh, we could understand what it means. We all know what leadership is. Um, I, I mentioned to you one time the, the 165 definitions of leadership I came up with when I was doing my dissertation on leadership. And I think I gave you the best definition of a leader out of the 165, which came from Howard Hendricks. And that definition, uh, the others were excellent. This one, I think, is the best. Uh, Dr. Hendricks said, a leader is someone who leads. Now, that's profound. You're not a leader because you have a title. You're not a leader because you have a degree. You're not a leader because you got the right network or because you have a position of prominence. Uh, you might have a title of leadership, but that doesn't make you a leader. You're only, if, you're only a leader if you lead. You're only a leader if you do the right thing. Uh, Jesus said if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you must become the servant of all. So with leadership, Jesus brought in an aspect of you're not there to serve yourself. You're there to serve others. The Son of Man did not come to be served. If anyone ever deserved to be served, it was Jesus. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So when we talk about spiritual leadership, we look to him. 
He's the model. Uh, we, we obviously will never attain to that. But he's the one who equips us and teaches us. He brings us to himself, changes our hearts, uh, and then puts us on a path of maturity, moving us from immaturity to maturity. Um, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. It is a slow growth and it is a slow process. So in Point Man, I broke down some different aspects of what it means to be a husband and father who is following Christ and is making an impact and having an influence on your family for Christ. Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. Now, uh, we've been working our way through. And I, I will be honest with you, the chapter I'm going to hit tonight is, is probably the one that I was, as I pondered doing this, was the least excited about. Um, and the reason is this, is that this subject that I want to uh, hit tonight, and as I'm talking here in introduction, you might take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 5, if you would, because that's where we're going to go. But the, the topic that I want to deal with tonight is a topic that really makes guys uncomfortable. Um, but it is so very, very strategic, even more so than when I wrote the original book 25 years ago. Um, story is told of a national uh, magazine sent out a photographer to a forest fire to get some pictures. And uh, up in a remote area, he calls his editor from a payphone. This is years ago. Calls him from some payphone in the middle of nowhere and says, I got the roads blocked. I absolutely cannot get access in there. I can't get pictures. And the editor said, I thought you might say that. Listen, about 20 miles, there's a little landing strip. Get over there. I got a pilot in a plane. He's waiting on you. Just, that's your guy. You'll get the pictures. He drives over there. And he finds it, landing strip. There's a plane. Props running. Door open. He grabs his bag, jumps in, says to the pilot, let's go. And the guy takes off. And he says, listen, here's what I want to do. I want you to swing around and let's approach that fire from the north, heading south. And just first a general pass, and then we'll swing back, and I want to get, get lower. And the pilot looks at him, and he says, you want to fly over the forest fire? He goes, yeah, yeah, I want to fly over the fire, forest fire. I'm a photographer, and I'm taking pictures of the forest fire. And the guy looks at him and says, you're not the instructor? <laughs> The topic that um, I want to deal with tonight is the issue of husbands and fathers in sex education. Now, some of you guys have already raised your kids. Your kids are adults. Um, I still think this has application. Now, some of you have got kids at home and still under your roof, and this will be a pertinent issue. But... For some of us, it'd be easy to think, well, gosh, that's, that's something that's, I'm way beyond. I, I find it interesting how many grandfathers 
are playing roles they never thought they'd be playing at this time of their lives. Because of just the breakdown of the family in our culture, I meet more and more men who, as grandfathers, along with their wives, instead of the, the quiet years, are the pretty active years. Because there's an absence uh, of a father in the lives of their children for whatever reasons. And the grandfather is, is playing a very, very critical role and taking on responsibilities that normally a father would take on, but the father is gone. It's not every grandfather, but it's many. Um, the, the chapter that I did in Point Man 25 years ago, I titled it, Telling Your Kids What You Don't Want to Tell Them. Because if there's anything that guys don't want to talk to their kids about, it's sex. I mean, that's the last thing we want to talk about. For, for a number of years, when I would do men's conferences, from time to time, I would do a talk on this, and I would ask guys as I was kicking in, and, you know, we'd have anywhere from several hundred to maybe a thousand, a couple thousand guys. Um, I would ask him a question I'm curious, how many of you guys learn the facts of life from your father? And uh, I said, if you're okay with it, if, if you don't mind, if you did learn the facts of life about sex from your dad, would you raise your hand? And I don't recall it ever being more than 2%. Um, I actually... It, I started saying, would you mind standing? Because, not to embarrass anybody, but just to say, now, because it was such a vivid picture. Uh, because we all, learned, we all learned about it. Biblically, we're supposed to learn that from fathers. But, you see, that is a baton that has been dropped in the relay race of the generations. And if you didn't hear it from your father, it's because he didn't hear it from his father, probably, and he didn't hear it from his father. Yet we read in Scripture that um, uh, as the pilot said to the photographer, you're not the instructor? See, that's what kids, biblically, whether they know it or not, should be saying to their dads. You're not the instructor? See, we are the instructor. Uh, if, if you just read through Proverbs, there is a reoccurring theme. And so often we treat the book of Proverbs like we do a um, lunch at a buffet. If, if you've ever been to one of these buffets, all-you-can-eat buffets, <coughs> Um, man, they got food spread out everywhere. They got, you know, the desserts are here and the entrees are here and the vegetables and the side. You know what I'm talking about. It's just massive amounts of food. And in a buffet, you just kind of take your plate and you're walking around and you'll take some of this. And then you go over here and you take some of this. And then you look around, you go and get some of this. And anyway, we kind of do that with Proverbs. There, there's so much great truth. There's so many nuggets of wisdom in Proverbs we tend to, pre, to teach, uh, to take Proverbs as a buffet. 
We'll find a little nugget in uh, chapter 3. Um, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thy own understanding. Acknowledge him in all thy ways. He shall direct thy path. You'll find another one here. You'll find another one here. There's a, I got a bunch of them marked in Proverbs 16. There's some great nuggets. And we kind of treat Proverbs as a buffet, but we forget there is a phrase that is used over and over again in Proverbs. Um, and it's the phrase, my son, my son. Uh, Proverbs begins, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and destruction. And then, in verse 8, you have the first occurrence of my son. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Uh, by the way, the first thing he deals with is wrong friends and peer pressure. It's a father teaching his son wisdom about how to live life on all kinds of subjects. Depending on how you break them down, I've seen lists of anywhere from 40 to 60 to 80 different topics that are covered in Proverbs. If you look at chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if you receive my words, chapter 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. Verse 11, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. 21, my son, 27, my son, uh, no, 4-1, hero sons, the instruction of a father. Uh... Chapter 4, verse 4. Actually, verse 3. When I was a son to my father, Solomon says, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me. And by the way, who's his father? David. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forsake her. Verse 10. Hear my son. All the way through. Uh, a number of topics. When you get to verse 5, or rather when you get to chapter 5, there is very, very clear teaching on what today we would call sex education. Very clear, very direct. Um, um, very forthright, without embarrassment. I want to go ahead and give you, um, I, I want to give you kind of a three-tier outline in advance, and I'm going to try and fit it all in tonight. And here's how we're going to do this. Here's the first thing I want to give to you. Um, the premise of sex education, the premise, and let me go ahead and give you the premise. My, my premise, as I understand the scriptures, is that a man is responsible to teach his children about sex. That's the premise. I think I can show that to you out of Proverbs 5 in a minute. I, I think to break it down even further, I think generally speaking, the, the way God has set it up is that 
fathers are to teach their sons and mothers are to teach their daughters. Uh, grandfathers obviously can play a role in that if the situation calls for it. Once again, in the absence of a father, a grandmother can play a role. Um, but the onus is on the father to make sure his children are taught on these issues. Okay. Um, I, I think you see in Proverbs 5 that the father is clear, he is direct, and watch this. He takes initiative. He takes initiative. He's not passive. It, it's just astonishing to me. I mean, it's not. I understand it. That when it comes to this issue, guys just lock up. Because it's extreme. Is it not a little strange to talk to your own son about sex? Yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. May I suggest to you that it is incredibly important and necessary. Is it not true that as hard a time as men have in talking to children, in talking to sons about sex, is it not remarkable that pretty much everybody else in the world wants to talk to your kids about sex? Is that not true? Which leads me to the policy, my second point, of sex education. And what I came up with as the policy for sex education is simply this. Get to your kids before their peers do. Because that's where most of us learn this stuff. We heard all kinds of crazy stuff from guys our own age or a little older who really didn't know anything. And just the craziest stuff. That, that's, that's not, that, and, and when, again, when I wrote Point Man 25 years ago, that was the policy I had in the chapter. The policy is get to your kids before their peers do. Now, if I was writing it today, I would add a little bit to it. I would, uh, I, I would, uh, what's the word I want? I would uh, put an addendum to the policy, okay? Um, I would say, uh, get to your kids before their peers do. I would also say, get to your kids before the media does. I would also say, get to your kids before the government does. I would say, get to your kids before the educational system does. I would say, get to your kids before the music does. I would say, get to your kids before television does. Doesn't that add up? Because we're living in just astonishing times. Um, everybody, just about everybody out there wants to talk to your kids and grandkids about sex. And what they have to say is not what the author of this book intended. Is it? No, there are many, many agendas 
many. And what I would say to you guys is, in light of those agendas and in light of the fact that you're a husband and a father and a grandfather, and what is it that a leader, how do you define a leader? A leader is someone who leads. This is where we have to lead. This is where we have to step up and do what is uncomfortable. Because I'll tell you what, if there's a vacuum and you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it and they're going to get wrong information. Now, this isn't something that we do a lot of Bible studies about. But uh, I, I, and, and, and I, w- I want to hit this again. If you're older and you raised your kids, I think we still have to have our antenna up because if you've got grandkids or if you've got uh, nephews or whatever in the family, y- y- you know, listen, we, we have lost so much of manhood and so much of male leadership in our families that uh, what a tremendous opportunity is there for godly men who just have their antenna up. And by the way, they're watching you anyway. They're watching you and they're watching me like a hawk. They're watching us. And we're teaching one way or the other. You see? But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get guys passive Oh, man, I mean, I don't know what to say. Well, they don't know that. I mean, they think you got it all figured out, right? Sure they do. They think you've got the answers. So we have got to take a little bit of initiative here. Now, let's go to Proverbs 5 because um, I, I, think we have a, I, I think we have a template here out of Proverbs 5, on how you approach this. Um, Verses 1 through 7, and and note how this guy takes initiative. Uh, In verses 1 through 6, actually, he tells his son about the woman who will seek to bring him down. Okay? What good football coaches do, good coaches any sport. Let's talk about football. What good football coaches do, what good defensive coaches do, is they prepare their players for situations they know the player will face. They prepare the young player for the situation before the situation ever occurs. They know that the team that they're going to play the next weekend runs an offense they've never seen before. These kids haven't seen it. So what's he going to do? He's going to show them they're going to line up in this formation. And sometimes they're going to shift. And this guy is going to get in the slot. And this guy is going to go in motion. Well, for whatever reason, they played other offenses. You remember this, okay? And, 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 and this, this looks completely different. Yeah, it does. But see, here, here's some tips. When that guy moves into the slot, they usually do this or this. You see? And you're going to see it this weekend. So just know this. When he moves from here to the slot, historically, because we've watched their film, they usually run this or they run this. So when you see him move, you think it's going to go that or it's going to go that. That's your key. It's real simple. See, that's just good coaching. That's just good leadership. That's exactly what Solomon is doing here. Now, because we were boys, became adolescents, now we're men, You know that a son, that a grandson, 
is going to face certain situations. You've been there. You've experienced it. So what's the first thing he does? He tells the son that he will encounter a woman who will seek to bring him down. Let's read verses 5, 1 through 6. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now, my son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. What does that mean? Sweet. Sweet. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Tupelo honey. <laughs> Van Morrison. She's like Tupelo honey. Let's stand and sing that together. <laughs> I can't remember the song, but it's pretty, pretty darn good. Wait, wait, look at, look at, she is going to be sweet, and she's going to be desirable, and she's going to be, you're going to have a what to, okay? The lips of an adulterer strip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. By the way, you can apply this to pornography. Uh, they didn't deal with it, we do. I talked with a guy recently at the end of a conference, and he was hanging around. He, he just wanted everyone to clear out. And real gracious guy, probably 50, and said, you know, Steve, I started looking at pornography real young, and it's got such a stranglehold on me, and I've asked God to deliver me and just take it away. And I do well for a few weeks, and then... A couple weeks ago, I just went down. And he said, I thought God delivered me. He said, I, I know of guys who have been delivered. And I said, well, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, God could do that. I, I've known of drug addicts who, I mean, hardcore, and just that desire was taken away. Now, that's not every drug addict. It's some. And I mentioned to him, I said, you know, I I have a friend named Nate Larkin that lives up in Nashville. Great guy, has a great ministry to guys that struggle with porn because Nate struggled with it deeply, was a pastor, struggled with it. And uh, Nate has a phrase that he asked God to deliver him, just take this away, just take it away, take it away. Just about cost him everything. But Nate has a principle uh, called uh, fragile freedom, that he is free from pornography a day at a time. And so he puts things in his life, like when he travels. There are certain things that he puts in his life. He will not stay in a hotel room by himself. He just won't do it because he's learned. He just doesn't work for him. The two are stronger than one. And to his credit, he follows through with that. And uh, some of you guys have had the same experience. Just, this stuff has just entrapped you and, and 
and it's happening younger and younger, and the more technology, you, you, you know the drill. I would say this to you. Um, if that's where you are, you'll never break it by yourself. You're going to have to get some help. You're going to, and you don't want to because you're embarrassed that you're trapped in it, and you're a guy that knows the Lord and loves the Lord, and you're ashamed. But you have to talk to another brother. Some sins, habitual sins, you have to talk to someone else that you can trust and will keep a confidence. You know, James said, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, There are guys in this room that have ministries to other guys that have been trapped in porn but they didn't get out of it by themselves. They went to someone, a brother in Christ, who they could trust. They confessed the sin, not just to the Lord, but I deal with this. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. And they're not going to turn you away. They're going to embrace you. They're going to pray. And, and there's things that can then develop where you check in with each other and you sign up for software programs where at the end of the month, you get a report of your friend every website he's been on. He gets a report every website you've been on. Like clockwork. That's called accountability. Uh, Chuck, years ago, I heard him define accountability as a willingness to explain your actions. It's the best I've ever heard on accountability. It's a willingness, you see. Because, see, if we confess our sin to a trusted brother and ask for help... See, well, I'm, and what the enemy, what keeps you, you're so ashamed. See, that's the enemy telling you you can't do it. But as soon as you confess it, as soon as you bring it out of darkness into light, the enemy has nothing on you anymore. See, you're afraid someone's going to find out. You've just told somebody. And now it's in the light, and now you're walking with a brother, and now you can encourage each other and look out for each other. Right? Jesus didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. Okay. Every guy in this room struggles with this stuff. But it has to be taken on. John Owen said hundreds of years ago, Either you be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We, we have to take steps. And really, is it not difficult to help a son if you're not dealing with it daily yourself and taking steps to follow the Lord? Okay? You getting this? There's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. You'll have your stumbles, but that's all right. You get back up. We just keep following Jesus, okay? And, and there can be growth. And you can see maturity, and you can see um, grace. And you see new habits being formed, you see. There's hope for you. All right. Uh, this adulteress, in the end, see, in the end, and here's the deal. Young men don't think of the end. Young men just think of the, wow, she's hot. Uh, old men tend not to think of the end. We think, wow, 
she's hot, you see. But you see, wisdom says, think of the consequences. Everything has a consequence. Every cause has an effect. Every action has a reaction. And this is where fathers can help sons in advance because she's going to be very, very, very enticing. Uh, but in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. So he is, he is warning the son that he will encounter a woman like this. Uh, in verses 7 through 14, He tells the son the importance of avoiding the woman. There are certain things you avoid. And let's read it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Now, you can apply that to computers. You can apply it to, I mean, just to real life today. You, you, you. We've got to train ourselves for godliness. We've got to train ourselves uh, to, to establish new habits. Like Nate, when he's on the road, he will not stay in a hotel room by himself. That's tremendous. He just, he just, he just knows himself. He, he doesn't trust himself. You see? We, we, we're blessed when we see our own weakness. Oh, I can handle that, can you? Have you been able to handle it? So often things we think we can handle, we don't have a history of handling. We're still, we're still in process here. Uh, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. It's just real simple. Don't even go near it. Don't knock on the door. Don't just check in to see how she's getting along. Oh, I didn't have anything in mind. Uh, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. There is a price to be paid for this stuff. And I'm sure his father told him the price that he paid. David was a man after God's own heart, and he got ambushed. Uh, 10, and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien and you will groan at your final end when your flesh, flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart has spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly of the congregation. So he is telling him, you want to avoid. You don't want to assume you can handle it, assume you can't handle it, so there are certain things you just don't do. You don't put yourself in the line of fire. Okay. You don't play with fire. Uh, the third thing, verses 15 to 23, and what is this again? This is a father talking to a son. This is sex education. This isn't Planned Parenthood. This isn't the public schools. This isn't some curriculum they've come up with in D.C. and they want, you know. This is a father who knows the Lord and who loves his son. 
and has had his own ups and downs and failures who wants the best for his boy. You see. So he's taking initiative and he's talking honestly and forthrightly. Okay. Now, in 15 to 23, he tells his son about the advantages of sex within marriage. All right, let's read it. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. That's well put. Uh, Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? No. That's what dogs do. As Tony Evans says, you're not a dog. That's what dogs do. You're not a dog, you're a man. Um, Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. God's no prude. He invented this stuff. We, we have this idea that God is a prude. Um, don't we? You ever hear about the puritanical view? Christianity, a bunch of Puritans? Nathan Bingham has written an article called The Puritan's View of Sex and Marriage. The Puritans, they got their name because they were the pastors in the Church of England in the 1600s and 1700s that wanted to keep the Church of England pure. They wanted to keep it according to the Scriptures. So they called them Puritans. They, they, were, they actually believed that we ought to follow what God says. So they called them pure, instead of man-made doctrines and man-made traditions. You follow Roman Catholicism, and Roman Catholicism has this, developed this custom, this trait, and he actually traces it here because of some men after the apostles that got this ascetic view that you're very holy and you're very godly if you don't marry and you don't have sex. I'm on the plane with a guy a couple weekends ago, coming back from Canada, a young guy, and he asked me what I did, and I told him, he goes, wow, that's pretty wild. So you talk to guys about being husbands and fathers. I said, yeah, it's all from the Bible. And he goes, yeah, well, my dad, you know, and he started telling me what his dad was doing in their local Catholic church, and his dad was obviously a leader, and he had a father who had poured into his life. And we were just chatting a little bit. And at a certain point, I said to him, I said, he said, so you teach? I said, well, you just teach right out of the scriptures. And something came up, and then something came up. And, I, and at one point, I said to him, I said, you know, it's always fascinated me. I think it's great like they have your dad teaching. And he's teaching the men, right? He goes, yeah. I said, because it's always been fascinating to me how the leadership of the Catholic Church, they're men, but they've never been married. They don't know what, they don't know what a husband deals with because they've never been a husband. And he goes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, these guys really like her and my dad. I said, well, your dad's been there. I said, you know what's really fascinating to me? There's a verse in the New Testament, and, you know, all of the apostles were married. He said, really? I said, yeah. Paul said, don't we have the right to take along a believing wife as do the rest of the apostles? 
He goes, really? Oh, yeah. He was thinking on that one. You know what's interesting? You get a Catholic reading the Bible, and it gets real interesting. Some of you guys are nodding your head because that's how you were raised. You see? Because there are doctrines that are man-made. They're not in the Scriptures. Okay? There's some people that love the Lord, but they've not been taught the Scriptures. Okay? Um, so the, do the Puritans take a bad rap on sex or what? Yeah. You're so puritanical. Uh, he quotes a couple of Puritan pastors. Um, for example, uh, one of them defines marriage as the lawful conjunction of two married persons, that is, of one man and one woman and one flesh, in contrast with Erasmus, who was the guy who um, debated Luther on justification by faith. Erasmus taught that the ideal marriage abstained from sexual intercourse. What? That's not in the Bible. You read 1 Corinthians 7, and it says the opposite. It says you're not to abstain except for a season, for certain times, for, for certain seasons, for prayer and fasting. Other than that, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That just came to my mind. I think that's a verse, too. That's not in the script. A godly marriage is that you don't have sexual intercourse? That's a marriage that needs help. If you look at 1 Corinthians 7, uh, one of the other Puritan pastors said in a wedding sermon that those who call for marital abstinence follow the dictates of a blind man and not those of the Holy Spirit who says that it's not good that man be alone. The Puritans viewed sex within marriage as a gift of God and an essential, enjoyable part of marriage. The Puritans did. An essential, enjoyable part of marriage. Uh, Pastor Gouge says that husbands and wives should cohabit with goodwill and delight, willingly, readily, and cheerfully. Nothing wrong with that. I thought I'd hear more amens. <laughs> Listen to this. Perkins as Pastor Perkins, they do err who hold that the secret coming together of a man and wife cannot be without sin unless it is done for the procreation of children. And that's taught. Oh, no, you only, you only have sexual intercourse to have a child. That's not in Scripture. You see? All I'm saying is we got a pattern here. And uh, once again, guys, I say to you, everybody else wants to get to your kids. Why would you not talk to them? This is something where we have to man up. And, and, see the, the, and, and again, this is new territory and it's new turf. Well, I've never done this before. Well, you've done a lot of things in your life you've never done before. But you stepped out, and you did it, and you asked the Lord for help, and he gives you help. It's called leadership. Um, now, I want to give you eight principles that I call the procedure for sex education. Okay? Because, and I'm just going to give them to you. I, when I was writing this, I was thinking it through. I had young kids. I had a responsibility with my own children and... 
uh, I was concerned where the culture was 25 years ago. My gosh, where is it now? Oh, by the way, in, in talking about marriage here, where he's saying at the end of um, five is that, is that sex is to be used within the context of marriage. Now, when I wrote Point Man 25 years ago, I just went with that. But see, now, now where we are is now you got to define marriage. Because our kids are living in a situation where they're being told and they're watching on TV and they're hearing this and they're doing this and laws are being changed and there is a... It, it's, it's just going down like dominoes, is it not? And this is how these kids... And I read a, an article recently about young millennials young Christians, and the statement was made, and I can't pull it off, but I'm going to tell you what I read, is that 50% of young evangelical millennials don't have a problem with same-sex marriage. Why? Because they get it everywhere. It's nonstop. Turn with me to Matthew 19. See, we, 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 we listen, we're the family pastors. We've got to talk to our kids we have got to be proactive. And before I give you the procedure, I, I, I just, again, we're living in a culture where everything is so fluid and everything is changing and everything is up for grabs. I'm going to Matthew 19. Your children need to understand Matthew 19. And they need to hear it from dads and from grandpas. Um, 19.3, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said to them, now this, here's, watch this. This is Jesus, this is God. And note what he says about marriage. Have you not read that he who created them, and by the way, who was the one who created them? Jesus. All things were by him, for him, and through him. He spoke the worlds into existence, Hebrews 1. Through whom, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son, through whom he made the world. So when Jesus says, have you not read that he, <laughs> Jesus said, have you seen me, you've seen the Father, who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is marriage right there. That's marriage. There, there, is, there is no other, that's marriage. That's just it. It's always been understood up until about 10 years ago. Has it not? I was reading this week about well, how the church presents this, and we want to do it carefully. Well, we always want to present truth carefully. But we don't want to do it in such a way that people are driven away. Well, now, I don't know about that, because the truth by itself is offensive. You don't want to be offensive in your manner. You don't want to be obnoxious, and we've all seen that. We understand that. You don't want to be obnoxious. We're to speak the truth in love. Proverbs says, wrap truth and kindness around your neck. But the scriptures are offensive. Well, we're losing young people. 
So what are you going to do? Stop declaring truth? That's not an option. You just want to, to the best of your ability, under the control of the Spirit of God, you proclaim the truth with a spirit in submission to Christ. But let me tell you something. You better proclaim the truth because teachers, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because teachers incur a stricter judgment. And by the way, how are they going to be set free apart from the Word of God? Because many of them think that there's nothing wrong with this. And the Scripture says there is something wrong here. It's immorality. Homosexual relationships are immoral, just as heterosexual adultery is immoral. You see, it's what the Scripture says. Oh, and let's, let's say this. So you've got, young, you've got people who are Christians living together. That's sin. That's sin. Know that. If you're involved in a sexual relationship and you're not married, that's sin. I'll show you that in a minute out of 1 Thessalonians 4. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Man, that's the last thing this generation wants to hear. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I'm going to tell you something. We're all going to be judged. Now, believers will not be at the great white throne judgment because we're in Christ by his mercy and grace. But judgment's been given to the Son. We'll be at the Bema seat, which is a judgment of rewards because Christ has paid for our sin and we've received it through his mercy and grace. Um, If... If a Christian individual gets into fornication and adultery, he will be disciplined by God, Hebrews 12, a believer, will be severely disciplined by God. Uh, unbelievers um, will be, who, who don't call the name of the Lord will be at the great white throne judgment. There will be judgment. Uh, go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which I believe is actually in the Bible. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification means that you're set apart. That's what it means. This is the will of God, that you be set apart. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You would not expect unbelievers to abstain from sexual immorality, but now Christ is in your life and he has called you, so you are to live a different way now. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. And if you're living with somebody and not married and involved sexually, you're violating the will of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, now see, this is, uh, this is not real open-minded. 
1 Corinthians 6, 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Flee immorality. Every other sin, don't justify it. Don't rationalize it. Flee it. Run from it. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. The immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So fathers are to teach these principles to their kids. That marriage, what is marriage? It is a man and a woman coming together. God says sex outside of marriage is sin and is wrong. That's what God says. And this is the only definition of marriage. Well, that just seems very harsh. He's a good father. He knows what's best. Son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. To talk with son-in-laws? Well, I think at the appropriate time. Sure. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, can, can you have a, hey, I've got a son-in-law, and now I think pretty much you try to follow the concept of the fathers teach, the males teach males, females teach males. Uh, fe, excuse me. I've been in this culture too long. Uh, males teach males, females teach females. But, but see, you know, there used to be something called the patriarch, the head of the family. And when a son-in-law comes in, he's in the club, man. He's in the family. And you have a responsibility to that young man. You see? To love him and to encourage him and to help him find direction as you would one of your boys. You see? This is a good thing. This is a godly thing. Yeah, we need to be talking. I think we need to help our daughters find husbands. I don't think we should check out of that process. I think a father should be there, and you're her dad. Well, she's 26. You're still her dad. And she's a young woman, and she's an adult. But you see, see you know, guys, this, this, this whole thing is heart stuff. If... Josh McDowell had a great line. He said, rules without relationship equals rebellion. If kids grow up in home, a Christian home, and it's just rules, and they don't feel that their dad gets their heart, some of you guys grew up in homes like that. Your dads were just, they, it was all law. It was all rules. Some of us grew up in churches like that. All, all rules, just rules, no heart. Well, that's, 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 that's not the Bible. That's not Jesus. Christianity is about the heart. Marriage is about the heart. Father, son, father, daughter. Family is about heart. It's heart stuff. See, it's heart stuff. You don't let the enemy get wedges in the heart. And, and, and so we can have conversations if they feel that, that they've got our hearts. See what I'm saying? A daughter who knows that her daddy has her best interest at mind in his heart 
she'll listen. She may not like some things, but at a certain point, you have an obligation. You have an obligation. And you say, well, I don't want, I know. And, you, and we ask for wisdom because she's not 12, she's in her mid-20s. But there are points where we have an obligation and a responsibility, and we ask God to give us wisdom. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Lord, give me the right word at the right time. Let me know when to say something. And, and don't, don't let fear freeze you. And if you've got a concern about a young man that she's looking, at a certain point, you need to say something. And with a son, and, and you're getting this, in relationships, we need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of God, and He has you there. Not to achieve your agenda, but you love them. And, they, and if they know you love them and you would die for them. This is how families are supposed to operate. You see? And then what if they go ahead? Oh, what if she goes ahead and, okay, she went ahead. Okay, so now we're going to navigate this thing. We're going to walk through everything together. And if, and if down the road she gets left, you're right there. This is how families run. This is how families do it. Am I making sense? There's a shelter. All right, now, I was afraid I wasn't going to have enough stuff to cover the time. <laughs> How deceived I was, right along with Hebrews 14. <laughs> so, but I, let's, let's just talk about having the talk, if you will, with kids, all right? Um, and we get all locked up in this stuff. Let me give you eight principles. Number one, small questions deserve small answers. Once again, if you're the grandpa, and you just never know when this stuff's coming up, and there's an appropriate time. I remember one time sitting on the couch with my Uncle Bud. I was six or seven. I, was, I learned to read. I loved to read. I was reading the sports page I picked up, and I read this article. I can still remember. It was on that same street in the same house where I told you last week I came to know the Lord. I'm in the couch, Uncle Bud's sitting next to me. I'm reading this article, and I'm reading this word, and I go, rap, rape. I said, Uncle Bud, what's rape? And after he spilled his coffee on the rug, <laughs> I'll never forget, he looked at me, he goes, you know, Steve, I, you know, you probably ought to ask your dad. No, and that was the right thing in that situation, wasn't it? He wasn't copping out. He just knew that was a conversation I needed to have with my dad. And I did. Okay? Uh, small questions deserve small answers. So you're driving, you know, and your little guy says, Daddy, where did I come from? And you, oh my gosh. I didn't think you'd ask this soon. And next thing you know, you're talking sperm and egg and all this, and you know, you're going about a 10-minute thing, and, and he says, son, is that clear? And you're in a cold sweat. Is that, you get that, son? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Tommy's from Ohio. Where do we come from, Daddy? <laughs> if it's a small question, give him a small answer, okay? 
<laughs> right, here's another one. Big questions, big questions deserve big answers. So I'm with my boys driving them to school in Coppell, and he comes on the radio that Magic Johnson has AIDS on WBAP. And I remember John sitting next to me, and Josh is in the back, and Josh says, and they were stunned. And, and I remember Josh said, Dad, Dad, do you think I could ever get AIDS? And I said, not if you do what Jesus says about sex. If you follow what Jesus says, sex is for a mommy and a daddy only. Now, some people, it is true that it's possible, it's very, very rare, very rare, it's possible to get it in a, through a blood transfusion. I mean, it's so rare, don't start thinking about that. But if you do what Jesus says, you won't get AIDS. He said, really? I said, really? He was going to do what Jesus said, because <laughs> he didn't want AIDS. Okay? Frank questions deserve frank answers. Uh, I'm shooting baskets with my boys one day in the backyard, a couple after dinner, and something came up, and I can't remember which one. It might have been John asked me a pretty direct question, and, uh, and it had to do with AIDS, and I said, you know, guys, but there are other things other than AIDS you can get. They call them sexually transmitted diseases. We're just shooting hoops, you know, talking about gonorrhea. And I'm just talking to them. And they go, really? I go, yeah. Because, see, they don't teach this in sex ed at school. Oh, it's safe sex. Yeah, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. That's not the whole story. Because there are sexually transmitted diseases. They say, you know how you got that wart right here? Yeah. I said, you know, you can get, there's a sexually transmitted disease, and what happens to you is that you get warts all over your penis. This guy just woke up over here. <laughs> I'm not sure that word's ever been spoken here before. <laughs> but you know, Howard Hendricks, who was an elder in this church for years, Dr. Hendricks said something brilliant one time. He often said brilliant things. One of the things he said, we should not be ashamed to discuss that which God was not ashamed to create. Why can't they talk to us? And by the way, the next principle, I don't know if it's next, but it's on here, is use the right terms without embarrassment. So I said, guys, let me tell you something. It, there's a, there's a, a disease you can get from sex outside of marriage because you don't know what somebody else has got, and you can get warts all over your, your penis and your genital area. <laughs> they just grossed them out. I wanted them to get grossed out. So you need to, hey, listen, there are effects to this stuff. Shouldn't they hear that from a dad? Don't lock up, don't get embarrassed. Those are your kids. Uh, number four, be, be casual and natural because it's life. We should not be ashamed to discuss which God was not ashamed to create. So there's no reason to get tense. Just talk to them. They're yours. You're responsible. They're your little flock. <sighs> number five, I think I'm on, look for teachable moments. Josh McDowell tells a great story about he's in the car coming home from a trip. His kids, they pick him up at the airport, and one of his kids says the F word to one of the other kids. And, and, you know, he handled it so well. And he said 
to his son, who, by the way, is now on the faculty at Biola University, but he was just a little four or five-year-old kid saying the F word. And instead of blowing up, and oh, we don't know, he just said, son, let me ask you something. Where'd you hear that word? And he told him where he heard it, somewhere at school. And he said, do you know what that word means? He goes, no. He said, would you like me to tell you what it means? He goes, yeah. He said, well, we got about 45 minutes before we get home. Why don't I just tell you what that word means and why we usually don't say that word? Boy, that was wisdom. See, that was a teachable moment. He didn't react. He didn't fly off the handle. He just led, you see. Uh, now I'm on number six, which is, which is use the right term. So whatever the number order, just work it out. Uh, I know I missed you up. Here's number seven. Consider the age of the child. This is tough because what we're doing in America, we're robbing children of their innocence. And, and we're having to say things before we really want to say them. But they know more than you think. And they've heard more. Number eight, let them know they can ask you anything and get a straight answer. I said to my boys, I want you to know something. If you ever have a question, you come to me and I'll tell you the truth. Your friends don't know what they're talking about. I, I, and, and, and you know, guys, you just kind of say, Lord, help me on this stuff. That's what, that's what you do. Lord, help me on this because I don't know how to do this. And I mean, I, I want to do it right. You're not going to get everything right. You don't need to get it right. But you talk, and you create an atmosphere. I remember talking to John, and I, he was only seven, and I wanted to, I, I, was just cons- I was just thinking, man, I got to, and so we, one afternoon we were talking, and I said, John, you ever think about, you ever have questions about sex and where babies come from? And he goes, well, he goes, I know that girl up the street, Dad, in, in middle school, she sexted, sexted with some guy. That's what he said. I said, really? He goes, yeah. Yeah, she she shouldn't have done that. And I said, yeah. I said, well, you know, sex is a good thing. You know who invented sex? Jesus invented sex. And I said, it's a good thing, John. Jesus invented it. And it's really a a gift from God, but it's it's such an important gift that we need to use it in the right way. And God says it's just for mommies and daddies. And when people use it, who aren't mommies and daddies, it really hurts them. It hurts their lives. Um, I said, so I'm going to tell you some stuff, John. I said, this is wild. I mean, you've never heard anything like this in your life. I mean, this is wild stuff. I mean, his eyes got pretty big. He, he said, really, Dad? And I go, really? I said, I'm going to tell you how, how it is that a mommy and daddy have a baby, how you came into the world. You know how sometimes you'll see in the kitchen, you walk in and I'm kissing mommy, and he goes, oh yeah, dad, that's, that's gross. <laughs> but see, it really isn't gross, they love that. Because when they see that, it gives your little kids security. My daddy loves my mommy, you see. Have you ever been just kinda had your arm around your wife or something, and all of a sudden you feel something on your leg and it's one of your kids? Because they want in on it? <laughs> that's pretty neat. And I said, well, this is wild. What happens? And I'm trying to think of a way into this. And I said, well, what happens if mommy and daddy will kiss? And uh, 
I said, you know how you and Josh have bunk beds in your room? You know, with the ladder? And he goes, yeah. I said, Mommy and I don't have bunk beds. It was the best I could come up with at the moment. <laughs> and I said, I really like that ladder. I think that's neat. But Mommy and I sleep in the same bed. And he, and he knew that. He just never thought about it. And I said, John, here's what's really wild. The way that God has done this is that when a man loves his wife, he gets an erection. And he goes, yeah, Dad, I know about that. And I said, yeah. Well, Jesus invented those things. And what happens is he'll love his wife and then they'll take their clothes off and they'll get naked. Those weren't his eyes, those were my eyes. <laughs> I couldn't believe I was telling this to my seven-year-old. So I got uncomfortable, I just got him in the car and went out and dropped him off at Planned Parenthood. <laughs> no, that's my job. And he's looking at me and I said, what happens is they'll get naked and they kiss each other and they love each other. And I said, it's pretty neat. It sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Yeah. I said, it's, it's a neat thing. It's a great thing. And then what the daddy does is the daddy puts his penis inside the mommy's vagina. And then what happens, dad? Uh, Go ask your friends. <laughs> now, I don't know how much of this is going to wind up on the CD. <laughs> we'll see. It might. I'm sorry? Yeah, that's the reference. It's Hebrews 14, Dave. <laughs> but you guys get the point, you see? And then when I said to John, and we, he asked me some questions about things, and then I wrapped it up and I said, John, I want to tell you something. This is, this is wild stuff. But I, I do want to tell you this. If you ever have a question, you come and ask me, and I'll tell you the truth. I don't care what it is. I'll give you a straight answer. Don't go talk to your friends. They don't know. He said, okay, Dad. A couple weeks later, maybe a week later, we're coming back from the grocery store, shut the door of the suburban. I got a couple of sacks in my hand. I'm walking up to the Sidewalk up to the steps of the house, a couple steps. I got these bags. I'll never forget this. He's right behind me. And as I'm walking, he goes, hey, Dad. And I go, yeah. He said, is the sex fun? <laughs> I, never, I mean, it just out of nowhere. There was no context. But see, I told him he could ask me anything. So I'm walking with these bags. And Dad, yeah, is sex fun? And I turned around and I said, it's unbelievable. And we just walked in and put the bags down and had dinner. But I wanted them to know it was unbelievable. Because it is. And God invented it. He invented it. And he wants this river to run within the banks. That he has set up. Because when it's outside the banks, people are hurt deeply. And a whole lot of us in here, that's not right, all of us in here have been outside the banks, either physically, mentally, whatever. But through Jesus, we get back in the banks. He restores, he heals, he fixes, he repairs, he heals. And he equips us with our failures 
to become men who can influence those who are coming behind. It's a great privilege. So, Father, we bow and we thank you for this gift you have given to us that is so maligned in this day and age. Our hearts are broken for the people we see who are, are in... Lord, it just, it's just so sad whose, whose hearts and lives are being broken and destroyed and maimed. Lord, you have, um, you have sheep that are not in the fold yet that are away from you. We're so glad that you are merciful in giving time for others to hear the gospel to come. Uh, you've been merciful to us. The grace we've received... Uh, Lord, would you help us in situations that come up in our homes? Not to step back, but to step up at the appropriate time. We look to you for wisdom and discernment in this area. Would you use us, we would ask. We want our homes to be beacons of light in a world of darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.